This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. Welcome to another edition of How We See It. I am John Morris, and today we are recording from the International Catholic Stewardship Conference in Orlando, Florida, meeting all kinds of interesting people, doing great things in the church. And I want to introduce you, friends, to to Tom Corcoran, who was with Rebuilt. Tom, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, John. Good to be with you. So you're operating in the Bay Area, I just found out. Tell me what Rebuilt does and what brought you to Tampa? Yeah, so we're a parish renewal program, so we're trying to help parishes grow healthier, so be healthy and then grow and reach more people and make more disciples. We were introduced to uh, Dr. Lois Losey, who, who brought us in. We got a chance to meet with some parishes, and so we're working with St. Patrick's and Holy Cross Parish and trying to help them grow healthier and, again, grow and reach more people. So this whole concept started here with a book? Yeah, so it actually comes out of our experience. My pastor, Father Michael White, and I work at a parish in Timonium, Maryland, which is outside of Baltimore, Church of the Nativity, and when we came in, we found things weren't working really well at our parish. It was a dying parish. So we started changing things, trying to learn some other churches, applying them to our parish. And we developed a model, now we call the Rebuilt Model, that has worked, that has grown and has grown our church. We've seen an incredible increase in, in giving and in finances in volunteerism and weekend attendance and people engaging in small faith community. And so we've taken that model and now sharing that with other parishes. How do you determine that this parish is in trouble versus just, well, they're just kind of going through the motions? Is it a statistical point of view where you see a decline in attendance and a a decline in the sacraments being taken care of, i.e. baptisms and marriages? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, Jesus said the spirit gives life, the flesh is of no avail. I think something happens spiritually in a parish first before it starts dying then and something quantifiable. But then eventually, yeah, I think a parish can start knowing it's struggling, obviously, you know, with finances, not being able to pay bills or struggling to pay bills, people not coming. There can become a spirit of lethargy within a church. So that some of it's quantifiable and some is, you know, is more the quality of it. What about these parishes that maybe there's just a change in the demographic of the neighborhood? That was sure. a vibrant parish 40 years ago. Yeah. The neighborhood has changed. Does Rebuilt come in and, and can you save those kind of parishes? I mean, I think the first thing is, yes, I think any parish can succeed. It has to understand, though, the new audience it's reaching. I think some of the problems in communities is the demographic has changed, but there's been no outreach to that demographic. I know in Baltimore, many parishes that were white parishes, you know, Europeans have moved out and now Africans, people from Africa have moved in, but the parish is not doing anything to reach out to that community. I think that's a story that's across the country of the demographic, but not reaching who that is. So one of our big things we had, we tell a, a parish to be successful is, in, we're in Timonium, Timonium, Maryland, so we have a person we call Timonium Tim. He's the quintessential unchurched person okay. in our community. And we describe him and, and go over all kinds of different things about his career and his family and all that. And that helps us speak to that person. We would say to any parish, if you want to be successful, who's your Timonium Tim, so to speak? Who is that quintessential person in your community you're trying to reach with the good news of the gospel? Right, right. So is it maybe the pastor that comes to Rebuild and says, hey, I need help? Is it someone from the diocesan leadership? Or maybe a parishioner that says, hey, Tim, we're in trouble here. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times, any of the above, really, I think. Probably if I were to say, though, parishioners are often the ones that feel the pain or desire to change before pastors. Certainly, with what we're trying to do, 
with our pastors. The pastor has to be on board. At the end, we believe in leadership. It all rises and falls on leadership. Now, it's not just the pastor who leads. We believe in layers of leadership and developing leaders from the the pastor to a you know core team to a staff to volunteer leaders. It, it's got to be layers of leadership. But certainly, pastor needs to be on board. But yeah, any anybody hopefully that sees in the parish they want to change. You know, some of the changes that came to our parishes. I was the associate to the pastor. That's my title at our parish. And I brought ideas to our pastor. So he was open to learning, growing, and together we work things out. But eventually we would like a pastor on board. But anybody can hopefully see the need to change and grow. So what would I expect if I called Rebuilt and said, um, Tom, I need your help. What's the package that I'm looking at yeah. getting? Yeah, because one of the things we do look to try to help. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is our delivery system, so to speak, is coaching coaching and courses. So we kind of have our model. and In our model, we talk about four different major foundations to rebuild the church. We talk about, first of all, the layers of leaders I talked about earlier. Then you need to build layers of leaders. We talk about creating an excellent weekend experience, the weekend mass and programs around that. For most Catholics, that's their experience of the church. And most people are going to experience the church on the weekend. So if it's good, they'll come back. If it's not, they won't. Creating a great weekend experience. We talk about shaping a clear discipleship path what do you want people to do to become deeper disciples of Jesus Christ? And then we also talk about growing wider. What are you doing to welcome outsiders? Welcome the people who have become disconnected from Christ and his church or were never connected to begin with. So those are kind of our four foundations. And so we want to help parishes implement that in a ways that work with their community, work with their parish into their community. At the end, probably want to help coach you through that. So one of the things we want to say is we want you to understand, before we got deeper into a parish, that you understand the model, and that's what we're going to be working with, and that's something that you're comfortable doing. Right, right. So we're at the stewardship conference, and obviously you've got to teach good stewardship at a parish. And yes. I heard one speaker say, well, it takes 10 years to build, make a stewardship parish. And I, that took me back a little bit because I thought, man, 10 years, you could have a turnover in pastors a couple of times and a new bishop. What would you say to them? I don't think that's far off. I mean, it might be five, it might be seven, but it, it, ten. It, it takes time to bring transformation to parish. Now, I think that's transforming a parish. I think change and quick wins can happen in any parish. Our story was, and maybe we were probably a little bit naive, actually, how quick we changed <laughs> right. things. But, we, and, but it, it does take long obedience in the same direction to transform a parish, I think, into a healthy, growing parish. Obviously, it depends where the church is, too. If a parish is growing... It can accelerate that change and breathe things. And there's momentum going on in a parish, that change and acceleration. But I, I do think that's where it's so important that we get key leadership staying there for long periods of time. So a diocese is generally, when they bring rebuilt in, generally, unless there's something going on, they're going to keep that pastor there because they've started building a relationship with you? Or Yeah. Well, and we still have all these different kinds of experiences. Not always the diocese bringing it in. It might be the parish wanting to engage in us, sure. with us. So... That's a conversation, yeah, we would like to have. That, I mean, I understand leadership can get stale, leadership can get bad, but I think, and I understand even Dicey saying having these limits to put in place, but to me it would be, I would really encourage more like, have it as an idea, but if a pastor's doing well, leave him in there because it takes a long time for a pastor to build trust with his community and believe him. We were able to do things at Nativity just because of the longevity of Father Michael and myself who've been there for a long period of time, and now there's trust in our community and we can just do better things, so... Yeah, it does take, I think, a commitment to a pastor. 
rebuilds is just not you and a small team here in Tampa. You're around the country as well? Yeah, so we have parishes here in Florida. We have parishes in California and up the Northeast and up in Boston. So around. So we work with about 30 parishes pretty deeply. We run weekly Wednesday workshops, so let's say that three times fast. So anybody in the, in, the, in the world can join us. Those are usually Wednesdays at noon, Eastern Standard Time. But then we have 30 parishes we work with really intently, and that's got our coaching program, and that's what we want to continue growing and working with more parishes. Are there common issues, common challenges that you see across the board, or is each parish unique in the challenges that they face? Yes, to both. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think every parish has to figure out their own unique gifts and abilities. But I think what we go back to those kind of four foundations is both the, the challenges everybody has and the opportunities. So... I think the challenge is, for a lot of parishes, it's putting more energy and effort into that weekend. That, again, that the weekend mass is where people are experiencing the church. So, you know, the struggle of music's a big struggle a lot of places. The struggle of maybe not getting a great homily and that. So these are all things every parish can work on. I think that, you know, every parish is working to get more volunteers, right? Mm-hmm. Volunteers are the lifeblood of a parish. So how we're creating communities that build up volunteers. So that, in one level... You know, and all the things we're covering and that we're trying to coach to are common problems. Raising the offertory and giving. And we say we're raising givers, not funds. You know, and teaching people to give and the discipleship and connecting the dots between discipleship and giving. These are all things parishes all, all struggle with. Is Rebuilt an all-in-one package? And I say that because I'm working with a contractor on my house right now. Yep. And so do you contract out? with maybe offertory companies or social media companies that specialize to help the rebuild package or is it all under one envelope for yeah you? we do not necessarily contract out with anyone one of our big things is on stewardship and teaching parishes that they can be running their own stewardship i think better with just some intentionality and some of the intentionality behind that there are certain things yeah we have limits on you need to redesign your website we would tell you get a new website you see parishes that really need to work on that we don't have designers or anyone we send out. I'd love to have that at some point, sure. but right now we would just say, hey, get somebody to help you redesign your website. You know, it's my personal opinion. I think there's talents in every parish. Yes. And there's probably someone in a parish that could build that website for you. Yes. If they just don't, they're not identified or they haven't been approached. Yeah, that, that's exactly what we want to be doing is helping you develop your own leaders and your own people. Yeah, I think it's, when talking about stewardship, one of the things we steward are the people in our pews and the gifts and the talents they have. And how do we create, again, raise up more and more leaders and raise up more and more people, give more and more people an opportunity to use those gifts to build God's kingdom. So I totally agree with that. So when you come into a parish, you, the, the rebuilt team comes in, how long do you expect to be at a parish? A year? Three years? Yeah. TFN? <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately we want a long-term relationship in the sense of partners. We're trying to build up a community of people that's helping each other. I would say for a parish... We expected five years. You said 10 years, at least five years to kind of implement everything we're talking about in our model that we think is a kind of full model to building a healthy and growing church. So, right. yeah, ultimately, yeah, we, we want partners that we're going to help in this infinite game of building God's kingdom. We are focused in this these last and, and currently three years on a Eucharistic revival here in the country. Is part of your ministry helping to bring attention to that or do you do you let the pastor handle that or or how does that work yeah i mean i think for us with the eucharistic revival one of our main things again is the worship at mass 
And, you know, one of the things that ticks me off, I will say, or pet peeve, is when I hear a priest say to people, what are you putting in the Mass? And to me, I think church leaders, we have to say, what are we putting into the Mass? What are pastors, priests putting into the homilies and investing in? What are we investing in music-wise? I think we have to show the value of the Mass, right? If the Eucharist, of course, is Jesus' perfect presence, right? Body, blood, soul, and divinity, perfect sacrifice, but I think Paul in Colossians 1.24 says he's making up for what is lacking in the sacrifices of Christ. What's lacking in Christ's sacrifices? Nothing except what he leaves room for us to do. I think when it comes to the Mass, what's lacking? Nothing except what Jesus leaves for us to bring our talents, our abilities to show the power of it. So that's a key theme that we talk about with parishes. You mentioned something, one word, music. And that is something <laughs> that I've heard across the board. Our music is great. And then somebody will say... Man, ours needs a lot of work. Yeah. How important is it to have good music at liturgy? It's vitally important. It's so important. It moves people's hearts and souls in a way nothing else does. So. And yet there's not money sometimes to pay the people that we want. I mean, that you're going to catch 22. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we tell parishes one of the things is invest in your music. And what are the ways you can invest in it? I mean, if you can financially, I, I think that's been the route we've taken. I just think music is such a skill to play. It takes years and years and years to develop. I I'm an amateur guitar player. I've been trying to play for five years. I'm terrible. I know how bad. I appreciate it even more. It's like if you ever tried throwing a football or a baseball, you realize, or try hitting a baseball, right. you realize how good those guys are. You know, same thing with music. But there's other ways you can be investing in music in your, you know, relationally, be investing in musicians spiritually and helping them grow. But there is just this certain level of skill that needs to be there, I think, to play music well. So make the investment in some way. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, in parish, it just becomes vanilla and it becomes kind of filler and we can't let it be like that mm-hmm. if someone wants to get in touch with rebuilt mm-hmm. maybe they want to investigate bringing you into their parish to mm-hmm. at least survey the landscape and say is this something we could do how do they reach you yeah you can go to you can just email me tom at rebuiltparish.com tom at rebuiltparish.com or go to our website rebuiltparish.com and yeah, check out one of our wednesday workshops that we do and if you sign up for that, you also kind of will, will know you're out there and we'll talk to you. Sure. Tom Corcoran, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, John. God bless you. Yeah, bless you too. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. We are recording from the International Catholic Stewardship Conference in Orlando, Florida. With us today is Monsignor Kieran Harrington, who is with the Pontifical Mission Society now. You were up in Brooklyn for a good while anyway. 22 years as a priest of Brooklyn. Uh, Coming to the Tampa Bay area, I understand. We are. We have an office here in St. Petersburg. And uh, John, you know, the Pontifical Missions, every diocese in the country, I'm the national director, but every diocese in the country has a director. Deacon Rick Wells is the director here for St. Petersburg. And uh, there are four Pontifical mission societies. There is very famously the Society for the Propagation of the Faith. It's famous because Archbishop Fulton Sheen was the director. And that society essentially helps to build the churches and the infrastructure in the church, which is in the developing world, about 1,100 dioceses all throughout the world where the church is either too poor or too young or persecuted. The United States was a foreign mission until 1908, which meant that the appointment of bishops and all that were taking place by the propagation of the faith. Uh, it came under the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith as opposed to
to the congregation of bishops. Okay. So there is the propagation of faith, which helps build the small, you know, builds up the diocese. Then there's what we call the holy childhood or the missionary childhood, and that's children in the church where the gospel has already been proclaimed and has grown, and it's children in those countries, like our country, who help children in the developing world in those 1,100 dioceses. And then I bet, John, in your parish, what parish are you here? Our Lady of the Rosary. So do you have any foreign priests in your... We uh, do. You do. Where's he from? Asia, India area. Yeah. So uh, if you're uh, most of the priests who have been from Africa or Asia, every one of them would have been studied because of the propagation of the faith. So we provide for the education of the priests uh, in the mission territories. And then the last uh, society is the Missionary Union. And the Missionary Union is to say that you, John, John Morris, the Gospel of St. Matthew, Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and baptize all nations, right? That you have a missionary calling. And so the missionary union is to remind all baptized Catholics of their missionary calling to go out to proclaim the gospel. And it's a little different to say going from Tampa to St. Pete's to proclaim the gospel as a missionary when you're going outside of that place where you don't have a traveling, with, with, where you don't have a second tunic nor a money bag. And we, it's really edifying when you take a look at the American missionaries who've served uh, so far overseas and the great work of bringing the gospel. Because, you know, the truth is, is America imports those things which is not very valuable to us. But we export what's most valuable. And is there anything more valuable than our relationship with Christ? My job is really to inspire you, John, to fall in love with being a missionary and want to serve the missions. And of course, just a few days ago, we celebrated the feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux, who's one of our great patronesses. St. Therese of Lisieux, who never goes to the missions and is a cloistered nun, is a patroness of the missions. Why? Because she had a missionary heart. She was praying. Her life was devoted for the missions. The other great patron, St. Francis Xavier, the great missionary, Jesuit companion of St. Ignatius Loyola, who goes to India and brings so many people to Christ. That's what our goal is. That's what our job is at the Pontifical Missions. We don't talk enough about those great saints that went out to travel to foreign countries. They risk life and limb. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we need lay people to do it, John. We right. don't just need, we need priests and religious. But, you know, uh, I, I was speaking to one Catholic missionary who's in China. And, you know, what she said to me, you know, Father, I am not a, uh, I'm not a nun. But, you know, part of the reason why I'm effective as a missionary is because I'm not a nun. I'm here. I'm teaching English. But my real job is to proclaim the gospel. And when the priests who are identified by the government, they're known. Even though many priests who are serving in China and other parts of the world where they're persecuted churches, they're serving in different capacities. The lay people are the ones who are the real leaven in the Christian community, helping to keep them strong in the faith and to remind them that even though someone may live 5,000 miles away, that they still are a member of this family, this one family in Christ. You'll be working closely with our diocese, but not necessarily for our diocese. That's right. I don't work. You'll for, be you'll be I working work with Deacon Rick all Cousins. the dioceses. That's right. right. Okay. My job is to coordinate the activity of the Pontifical Mission Society. So Pope Francis is the head of our dicastery. So he is the head of the dicastery for evangelization. There are two departments. There is the new evangelization, uh, which is for us. These are the first evangelization, and the new evangelization, rather, which is. In those countries where the gospel has been proclaimed but needs to be reproclaimed. In other words, there's a pl- there are places, and, and this is our, our foundress, Pauline Jericho, when she was in France, 1822, she f- founds the propagation of the faith. And what she says is, I see two candles, one where the candle is burning dimly, the other burning brightly. That candle burning brightly was in the New World 
in the Americas, in Asia. And she said that we have to take some of the oil from the place where Christianity had been proclaimed and bring that to the new world so that it could burn brightly. So when we think about missionaries, we think about Asia, Africa. When you speak of where this faith was strong once before, that includes Europe. Do you do work in Europe? Uh, actually, we do have some European countries where there are missions, but actually it's in Ukraine, and that's because the communists at the early part of the 20th century and then the Second World War and then the communists again, the gospel really was extinguished in parts of Ukraine. And so uh, we are going into those places where the gospel, it's not a re-evangelization. We are the first evangelization. Okay. So what about these places that were communist states at one time yeah. that are now, you work with you not only new Ukraine, but we some do, of the others. We do, that's right, yes. But here's the thing, you know who's doing the re-Christianization of those countries? Think about where you were saying in your parish, you have a priest coming from India, you have a priest come from Uganda, right. you have a priest come from Nigeria. These are places which have just heard the gospel, and now they're sending priests here to help ensure that we, the faith grow strong once again in our own country. Is that a result of, because the faith is introduced for the first time in in many of these villages and uh, outposts in in Africa, that vocations to the priesthood are so strong coming out of Africa? Is that a result of some of your work? I think that, well, definitely it is strong because of the witness of the Christian missionaries. You know, it's a, St. Patrick is the patron saint of Nigeria. You know why that is? Because the Irish Holy Ghost Fathers went and gave their life for the Nigerians and actually were expelled from the country in the Biafran Wars in the 1960s. You know, it is uh, the life of the missionaries who lay down their their entire life. You know, the, the people who are being served recognize the sacrifice of the missionaries. Why? Because they prefer to die... Now, I was talking with a cardinal recently. The cardinal, I think he was from Nigeria, was saying that the White Fathers left to go other places. You know, they did their work, then they left. But they've seen an influx of Muslim, Islam, pouring in. And even those from China coming in to get in on the natural resources that are in those countries. How does that impact your yeah. well, efforts? Uh, let, me, let me tell you this. is I was in Iraq uh, in 2018, okay. Mosul had just been liberated, and I run into these French missionaries, SOS missionaries. They're young people. They're really like just out of college. They were there when ISIS ran rampant mm. all over the country. They stayed in the country to testify to the love of Christ and that the, the people of Iraq were not suffering alone. Mm. And I looked at these young French missionaries, and I said, boy, do they have something to teach us? Uh, they certainly have something to teach us about courage in the face of danger because they've given everything for Christ. Do we have many missionaries, uh, young people missionaries from the United States? Or you, you mentioned the French. Do we have many? Well, you see, I mean, you know, there's focus missionaries and there are lamp missionaries. So there are these uh, focus, uh, they're college missionaries. They're okay. kids who go around to different colleges, lamp to uh, other uh, other countries. There's the Marino lay missioners. This is something that I think that we as a church in the United States really, you know, we're in this year of the Eucharist, right? And John, when on a Sunday morning, you get up and you say to your wife, we got to go to Mass. Right. Why do they call it the Mass? to give thanksgiving yeah but why mass what's the word mass they say it because the last words that the priest would say when he said the eucharist the eucharistic celebration latin was ita misa s 
Misa. Misa, missile. Misa, mass. Misa means sent. sent. You come to church. Why? To be sent. Where are you? You're coming to church to receive the body and blood of Christ, not just to make you feel good. It's to make you strong so that you can go out and proclaim the gospel when you leave that church. So we're talking about being sent, viaticum. Viaticum is, a, what do we say? Viaticum is, is, is the giving of the sacrament of Holy Communion before a person dies. Food for the journey home. But I received that food for the journey home to the Lord for my final judgment, so I'm ready for my final judgment. The truth is, is that I'm receiving communion here so that I can be strong, so that I can go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I can be the face of Christ for the world, that when people see my life, they see Christ living in me. As a steward, how do we work that into the missions and service? Sure. So on the penultimate Sunday, October 22nd, this is World Mission Sunday, what is important for me in my work is that every priest in the country, in every pulpit, preach about the missions on World Mission Sunday. They talk about the importance of supporting the missions by our prayers and the encouragement to serve the missions, maybe by going to the missions. And certainly, if we can't go to the missions, we can serve the missions by our prayer, and we can offer our alms for the missions. To me, a lot of folks will think that my job is a fundraiser, but I don't see my job as a fundraiser. It's my job to inspire great love for the missions, because you know what I know when John loves the missions? If you love the missions, you're going to support the missions. Right. But it's most important to love the missions. A lot of people, you know, they love the Rays. Right. right, they love the, the rays, the, the bucks down here, and you know they're going to go out and they're going to buy, they're going to buy the paraphernalia for the rays and the bucks, and they're going to support their team by going to games. Right, this is a question: How do we love the missions and support the missions? What do you say to a parent who comes to Father Kieran and says, "You know, I love what you're doing. My son has come to me. We had great plans for him. We were going to send him to Harvard, but he wants to go spend a couple of years in the missions, and we're not for that." We want him to get his education. What do you say? Well, it's a very funny thing because uh, I'll tell you two things. I have a cousin of mine who's a United States Navy officer. He's uh, serving on the USS Baton. Was thinking about being a Jesuit priest at Boston College. Still thinking about being a Jesuit priest. But you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to serve his country. And you know what? I salute him. My family salutes him. This is a kid who, who understands that it's not about himself. He's living for something greater than himself. And when you live something greater than yourself, that's when you actually find yourself. You find your meaning, your direction, your compass in life. And when I would say to a parent who says, I've got great things, what you want for your kid, the most important thing you want for your kid is to go to heaven. That's what you want. You want your kid to be joyful, not just happy, a moment. You want them to have this abiding joy. And you know when you have that abiding joy? When you know why God created you. What's the mission that he created you for the purpose he created and how you're going to change the world. That's what I would say to those parents. Every listener here should go to their parish priest and say, Father, are you going to preach on World Mission Sunday? Are we going to take up a collection to help those, our brothers and sisters, in places in Nigeria where they're kidnapping priests, killing priests and nuns, in places in India? If you become a Christian in India and you are an outcast, you give up all sorts of rights and privileges. Uh, the sacrifice of our brothers and sisters in, in China. What I would say is that as Americans, Americans are the most selfless people in the world. When you think about how our country, the dedication of our country, and what our country has given the world, the First World War, the Second World War, even at this moment and you consider Ukraine. What makes America great is America doesn't think about itself. 
America is always thinking about the other. And as we think about others, that's how we become strong. Yeah. Amen. So my hope is that every listener says, let's talk about the missions. Let's send missionaries to the missions. Let's send our prayers to the missions. And let's help them with whatever financial resources we can help. Because we know that when we give to those abroad who really we're, receiving, we're giving to ourselves. Mitt Romney was a Mormon missionary. He was a Mormon who went to Paris, France. How many Mormon converts did Mitt Romney make? One. You know which Mormon missionary he made? Who's it? Himself. By testifying to Christ, he became a better Mormon. And by our listeners testifying to Christ and supporting the missions, as St. Therese of Lisieux did, or as St. Francis Xavier did, however they're called, that's when they will come to be, have a deeper knowledge of Christ, and the light of Christ will shine through them. For the faithful who want to learn more, do you have a website? How, how do they sure. find out more? OneFamilyInMission.org. OneFamilyInMission.org. That will tell you all about the propagation of the faith, the, the holy childhood, the missionary childhood, the Society of St. Peter the Apostle, and the Missionary Union. Before I let you go, Monsignor Karen Harrington, Will you be serving in any of our parishes locally? I have helped uh, at a number of different parishes. Uh, I've helped at St. Matthew's, and, uh, and I've helped at uh, 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 St. John's as well, so uh, Holy Name, okay. uh, and St. Jude's. So, so many of our listener friends will hopefully get to meet you uh, in the coming months in and around St. Petersburg anyway. I hope so. God bless you. God bless you, Monsignor. John. Thank you. Karen Harrington has been our guest today, and that's how we see it. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.